0: Chica Live Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening, where we continue our reflections into the great Christian thinkers. Uh, This evening, we have the opportunity to reflect into, arguably, uh, one of the most recognized saints of the Catholic Church, one St. Anthony of Padua, and I will be uh, flying solo today. John O'Hare was unable to join me. Uh, Now, for some of you, you may have anticipated the beginning of our Treatment of the Crusades um, I've had to back that up one more week. So starting next week, I will have John O'Hara and George Wing with me, and we will start our three to four week treatment of the Crusades, certainly uh, looking forward to that. So, as I just noted this evening, we have the opportunity to talk about St Anthony of Padua. Now, last week, we talked about arguably the most recognizable dominican other than of course saint dominic himself saint thomas aquinas right this week the most recognized franciscan other than saint francis himself saint anthony of padua surely one of the most popular saints of the catholic church uh, venerated not only in padua uh, where we find a splendid basilica that has been built and and contains his mortal remains but also throughout the whole world Dear to the faithful are the images and statues that portray him with a lily, a symbol of his purity, or maybe with the child Jesus in his arms, in memory of a miraculous apparition mentioned in a number of literary sources. Uh, I'm looking down now at a prayer card myself with St. <laughs> Anthony and uh, him with a the, with the lily, a symbol of his purity. Um, so what can we say of this uh, towering figure that is St. Anthony of Padua? We are going to lean in this evening uh, to Benedict Sixteenth and his continued audiences on these great Christian thinkers. He has so many great things to say uh, on St. Anthony of Padua. And as he notes, I mean, St. <laughs> Anthony of Padua had astounding gifts of, of intelligence, apostolic zeal, and mystical fervor. Mystical fervor, something that was very important to uh, Franciscan spirituality. What do we intend to mean when we put those two words together? Mystical fervor. Well, St. Anthony had an energy, a fervor to go to God in the quiet, to go to God in the silence. Uh, How have we talked about mystical theology before? We have certainly been spending quite a bit of time uh, with this phrase, mystical theology. Well, we turn to the Transfiguration. And what we quickly realize is an unveiling of what the mystical life is all about, right? There, Peter, James, and John, they're brought to the top of the mountain, and what do they see? They see our Lord transfigured. In the Greek, he went beyond the form that he had. Without ceasing to be who he was, he added a new depth dimension before the apostles, essentially revealing his both humanity and divinity and in the mystical life what happens is we go deeper into god and what is unveiled before our very eyes is this calling that we have to go deeper into god's very inner life is his very purity and what is added a new depth dimension to our very lives and saint anthony of padua had an energy for this so benedict the 16th uh, speaks to saint anthony Uh, having and possessing this mystical uh, fervor, a a phrase I just absolutely love. So by way of uh, a snapshot into his life, St. Anthony of Padua, born into a noble family, like that of St. Francis of Assisi, in approximately 1195. So once again, we're still in the Middle Ages, uh, late 12th century. St. Anthony, not born Anthony, right, but baptized with the name of Fernando And it was at a very young age that he entered the canons who followed the monastic rule of St. Augustine, which would ultimately land him in one of the most renowned cultural centers in all the world, uh, Portugal. He dedicated himself with interest and uh, solicitude to the study of the Bible and the Church Fathers. Certainly this is something that we have seen a great deal with these great Christian thinkers, especially as we've gone beyond the Church Fathers, that many of the great Christian thinkers, many of the doctors of the Church would look back to the Church Fathers so as to gain wisdom and insight and in just not how to teach the faith, but first and foremost, how to live the faith. So he dedicated himself with interest to the Bible and the Church Fathers, acquiring the theological knowledge that was to bear fruit in both his teaching and preaching activities. Anthony knew well what the Church Fathers taught him, that his teaching, his preaching, had to be rooted in prayer. We will talk about this later. St. Anthony of Padua is one of those uh, great doctors of the Church that teach us a lot about prayer. I was just reading uh, recently uh, on Fulton Sheen, and Fulton Sheen would talk about how important it was to make sure that we would go to prayer, before preaching and before teaching, and echoing so many of the great saints to the likes of St. Anthony of Padua, without prayer, our preaching and teaching risks being empty. So circling back here to St. Anthony of Padua, there was an important event that represented a decisive turning point in his life. It was in this town of Coimbra, Portugal. Okay, this was the town that he went to where there was just a robust cultural center. So it was approximately 1220 that the relics were exposed of the first five Franciscan missionaries who had gone to Morocco, where they had met with martyrdom. And their story, the story of these five Franciscan missionaries, inspired in young Fernando the desire to imitate them and to advance on the path of a Christian perfection. And I think, certainly, my dear friends, as we are talking about the life and journey of St. Anthony of Padua, we ought to be mindful of something here. I mean, we too ought to pray and be open to similar inspirations in our own lives. I mean, it was just the simple passing of relics, right, that essentially would change the fortunes of history, and certainly in the life of St. Anthony of Padua. How often does God call us in the very ordinary to extraordinary things. How often does God call us out to go deeper into his very life, seeking out the ways in which God is putting on our heart to see the faith as something of an adventure, like St. Anthony of Padua did here. He was deeply touched, deeply moved by these relics and the story that was tied to these relics. So often in the Catholic Church today, we are given gifts, like this gift that was given to young Fernando here, huh? Maybe it's a a relic. Maybe it's an encounter we have with our Lord in the procession of the Eucharist. Maybe it's a speaker, a very gifted speaker who's coming in town who has a very special message for you. Whatever it may be, we have to open our hearts to allow God to speak to us, and in so doing, allow Him to move us move us into that great adventure that is the Christian and Catholic faith. That being said, after this turning point in the life of young Fernando, he asked to leave the Augustinian community to become a Franciscan. His request was granted, and having taken the name of Anthony, he, like those missionaries that inspired him, set out for Morocco. But in a moment of divine providence, God would lead him elsewhere. After an illness, he was obliged to return to Italy, and in 1221, a very important thing happened. He participated in the famous chapter of the mats in Assisi, and what happened? Well, at the age of roughly 26, he would meet one Saint Francis of Assisi for the first time, an encounter that certainly had a huge impact upon his life. He then lived for a period in complete concealment in a convent in northern Italy, where the Lord called him to another mission, invited in somewhat casual circumstances to preach on the occasion of a priestly ordination. And at this occasion, he showed himself to be endowed with such knowledge and eloquence that the superiors assigned him to a preaching mission. Thus, he embarked on apostolic work in Italy and France that was so intense and so effective that it induced many people who had left the church to retrace their footsteps back to the church. He began his teaching in Bologna with the blessing of St. Francis himself. It's interesting. We have very little from the life of St. Francis as it relates to what he actually said. One of the few things that we do have is a simple letter he sent to St. Anthony of Padua, recognizing the greatness of his virtue, saying this, I would like you to teach the Brethren theology. Simply that, I would like to teach you the Brethren theology. So many things, my dear friends, are attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Songs after what we think he said, by way of foundational sources they're attributed to him. We don't know if he actually said them. One of the few things we know he did say was what was in this simple letter of request, an invitation, we should say, from Saint Francis to Saint Anthony to teach the Brethren theology. This was a big thing because Saint Francis of Assisi saw theology as not a bad thing, but for some a dangerous thing. Saint Francis of Assisi saw knowledge get in the way of doing the will of God. And sometimes that can happen to us. We get so filled with all of this knowledge that we forget about the simple things. And for St. Francis of Assisi, who was espoused towards that true and holy simplicity, he was often aware of that. And yet to St. Anthony of Padua, he recognized the greatness of his, his teaching and his preaching and his theologizing, and he invited him to teach his brother's theology. I just absolutely love that. So, as far as St. Anthony of Padua is concerned, having become provincial superior of the Friars Minor, the order that uh, St. Francis of Assisi founded, he continued his ministry of preaching, alternating it with his office of governance. And is this not another theme that we have seen? These great doctors of the Church, these great thinkers, also have very prominent roles within their religious communities, roles that would have them govern. There's an invaluable truth. That we should pause and consider here. The deeper you go into the faith, in both its philosophy and theology, the more you come to understand the nature of man—anthropology, right? When you do that, uh, certainly how to govern can become more clear. Not that being a philosopher or theologian makes you a a good governor. I'm not saying that, but I will say this— to study anthropology, to study philosophy, to study the nature of man, allows you to see how to better govern. And you certainly see this in the life of St. Anthony of Padua. So when his term as provincial came to an end, he withdrew to a place near Padua where he had stayed on various other occasions. Barely a year later, he died at the city gates on the 13th of June, 1231. So St. Anthony of Padua died a young man, roughly the age of 36. Now, as it relates to St. Anthony of Padua and the life of the church, bigger picture stuff, it was Pope Gregory the Ninth himself, having heard him preach, described him as the Ark of the Testament, and subsequent to miracles brought to about through his intercession, he canonized him in 1232, only a year after his death. How about that phrase? Ark of the Testament. What a great phrase that by his very word, St. Anthony of Padua lifted up the curtain to uh, the presence of God that we see unveiled in the New Covenant. So rich, rich stuff. You know, this this canonization, only a year after his death, that makes him really one of the quickest saints uh, ever to be canonized. I believe it is one oh gosh, what's his name? St. Peter of Verona, otherwise known as St. Peter Martyr, who was the quickest to be canonized, I think roughly uh, nine to ten months. Uh, anyhow, Gregory the uh Pope Gregory the IX, Ark of the New Testament. I just love that. Anyhow, as far as his literary accomplishments go, in the last period of his life, Anthony put into writing two cycles of sermons, entitled respectively, Sunday Sermons and sermons on the saints, destined for uh, the Franciscan orders preachers and teachers of theological studies. It was in these sermons that he commented on the texts of Scripture presented by the liturgy, using what we've already talked about, my friends, the great patristic and medieval interpretation of what but the four senses, the literal or historical sense, the allegorical or Christological sense, the moral sense, and the anagogical sense, which orients a person to eternal life. You know, we've spoken to these before, but I want to go to the Catechism here. For those of you who have the Catechism of the Catholic Church, if you were to turn to uh, Articles 115, 116, and 117 and following, it gets into the senses of Scripture. And I want to speak to this a little bit here, because as we've talked about this before, We've never gone into the Catechism, and I just want to speak to what the Catechism has to say here. This is paragraph 115, and certainly uh, what I'm about to read you not only comes from the likes of Origen and and Augustine and others, but St. Anthony of Padua as well. So paragraph 115 says this, According to an ancient tradition, one can distinguish between two senses of Scripture, the literal and the spiritual. The latter, that is the spiritual, being subdivided into the allegorical, moral, and anagogical senses. The profound concordance of the four senses guarantees all its richness to the living reading of the scripture in the church. So again, the literal sense, as the catechism speaks to it, is the meaning conveyed by the words of scripture and discovered by exegesis. And again, that word exegesis, Is simply a word that means to interpret the text, and you do this by following the rules of sound interpretation. Uh, And as the Catechism states, quoting St. Thomas Aquinas here, all other senses of sacred scripture are based on the literal. Why would the Catechism say that? Why would every Christian claim that? Because simply, it is about appreciating the historical context to which sacred scripture comes to us, okay? So, the Catechism goes on, explaining the spiritual sense. Thanks to the unity of God's plan, not only the text of Scripture, but also the realities and events about which it speaks can be signs. Here the Catechism explains the allegorical, the moral, and the anagogical that I just spoke to. The allegorical—well, what does the word allegory mean? Allegory, for those of you who are English teachers, you know that an allegory is the description of one thing under the image of another. Uh, we see this in contemporary writing, certainly, with the likes of Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis used uh, this great story of the Chronicles of Narnia as an allegory to explain uh, all of the key elements of the Christian faith. Okay, so the description of one thing under the image of another. In the allegorical sense, we can acquire a more profound understanding of events by recognizing their significance in Christ. Thus, for example, uh, the crossing of the Red Sea is a sign or type of Christ's victory and also of Christian baptism. If we were to go to 1 Corinthians 10:2, we find that. Uh, We've spoken to typology a great deal. Typology, the word type comes from the Greek word typus, which means pattern. The great Mark Twain once said that uh, history never repeats itself, but it does have a rhyme scheme. What we discover when we read the old in light of the new and the new in light of the old is this great rhyme scheme that only makes sense in light of Christ and what he has come to establish in the sacramental and Catholic Church. Just powerful stuff when you read Scripture this way. How about the moral sense? Well, the moral sense is about the events reported in Scripture and how they ought to lead us to act justly As St. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, um, and we also read in Hebrews uh, chapters 3 to 4, uh, how sacred scripture was written for what? Our instruction. Our instruction. We need to be educated in the faith, my dear friends, if we are going to be the best version of who God is calling us to be, right? Remember what the word education means. Educare, to draw out. The deeper we go into sacred scripture the more we understand about the life of Christ, the greatness of who we are called to be will be drawn out. So, how about the anagogical sense? Well, the anagogical sense comes from the Greek word anagoge, meaning lead. Uh, The anagogical sense has us viewing realities and events in terms of their eternal significance, leading us toward our true homeland. Uh, Thus, the church on earth is a sign of the heavenly uh, Jerusalem. There is a beautiful couplet given to us that summarizes the significance of the four senses. Well, it reads The letter speaks of deeds, allegory to faith, the moral how to act, anagogy our destiny. I think that sums it up well. The letter speaks of deeds, allegory to faith, the moral how to act, and anagogy our destiny. So, this is what St. Anthony of Padua's preaching and teaching was all about, huh? You know, St. Anthony's sermons were theologically rich, yes, but they were very practical. Uh, There was a certain richness to its spiritual content. In fact, the richness of spiritual teaching contained in the sermons was so great that in 1946— Pope Pius XII proclaimed Anthony a doctor of the church, attributing to him the title Dr. Evangelicus, that is to say, the evangelical doctor. Why? Because there was a freshness and a beauty that came alive from his preaching. It brought to life the gospel. And certainly we can still read them today with great spiritual profit. You know, I noted earlier St. Anthony's treatment of prayer, and it is in these sermons that we find Saint Anthony speaking of prayer as a loving relationship that impels man to speak gently with the Lord, creating a joy that sweetly enfolds the soul in prayer. You see this as a common theme among his words, this need to go to God in prayer, speaking to him gently, and the gentleness creating this joy that actually enfolds our soul in prayer. St. Anthony reminds us in the sermons that prayer requires an atmosphere of silence, which just doesn't mean distance from external noise, but rather what? An interior experience that aims to remove the distractions caused by all of our anxieties. There's always so much interior chatter. Silence just isn't the absence of noise. It's also that inner reserve to quiet the soul. So silence is a virtue, the discipline to actually quiet the heart, to quiet the soul, and ultimately creating a deeper silence in the soul itself. According to St. Anthony of Padua, prayer is structured, and I love this, in four indispensable attitudes. For all of you listening out there, take note of these four indispensable attitudes. I've taught on these before, and I just think they're so invaluable. The first step in prayer is to confidently open one's heart to God. This is not merely accepting a word, but opening one's heart to God's presence. My dear friends, if the heart is shut, we cannot receive what God wants to give. We need to open the heart and be willing to receive what God wants to give us. Remember that prayer is desire matching desire, that we want to receive God as much as he wants us. That's prayer. Second, prayer is speaking with him affectionately. Speaking with him affectionately, seeing him present with oneself. And out from that next, we naturally present our needs to him, right? So we open our heart to God, we speak to him affectionately, and out from that affectionate prayer, we will naturally present our needs to him. And lastly, we praise and thank God. Oh, the importance of that virtue of gratitude to receive that grace and to understand that whatever his answer is to our prayer, yes, no, or not yet, and we've talked about that a lot recently, that we praise and thank God. This kind of prayer my dear friends, again, will lead to a lasting joy. It is in St. Anthony's teaching on prayer that we begin to perceive one of the specific traits of the Franciscan theology that he founded, namely the role assigned to divine love, which enters into the sphere of the affections of the will and the heart, and which is also the source from which flows a spiritual knowledge that surpasses all other knowledge. In fact, it is in loving that we come to know. We've talked about this before, how loving is actually a way of knowing that once we allow that divine love to enter into our sphere of affection, of the will and of the heart, we acquire a spiritual knowledge that surpasses all other knowledge and ultimately there we discover that is in it is in loving that we can come to know. One thing is clear for St. Anthony. Only the prayerful soul can progress in the spiritual life. This is the privileged object of St. Anthony's preaching. He was so thoroughly familiar with the shortcomings of human nature, of which I just spoke to previously, huh? with our tendency to lapse into sin, that he would never hesitate to urge his listeners to fight the inclination to the pleasures such as pride and impurity. It's interesting, at the beginning of the 13th century, in the context of the rebirth of the city and the flourishing of trade, the number of people who were insensitive to the needs of the poor would increase. And this caught the attention of Saint Anthony of Padua. In one of his famous sermons, he challenged the growing rich people with this Befriend the poor, welcome them into your homes. It will subsequently be they who receive you in the eternal tabernacles, in which is the beauty of peace, the confidence of security, and the opulent tranquility of eternal life. Befriend the poor, welcome them into your homes it will subsequently be they who receive you in the eternal tabernacles, in which is the beauty of peace, the confidence of security, and the opulent tranquility of eternal life. You know, St. Anthony of Padua had a great affection for the poor because he had a devotion like that of St. Francis of Assisi to the God who became poor in the manger. We must remember the manger scene that we see uh, today all throughout the world during Christmas first came to us through a devotion that St. Francis of Assisi had. Certainly he passed this on to his fellow Franciscans. It was something that touched the heart of St. Anthony of Padua. So St. Anthony of Padua had a deep love for the poor, and out from that deep love, he would always challenge anyone who would be willing to listen to go to those who are on the margins. And in doing so, you are not only serving God, but God is ministering to you. St. Anthony Padua, my dear friends, is a towering saint. Yes, because he helps us find lost things. (laughs) We pray to him often, but because he had that wonderful blend of apostolic zeal, humility, mystical fervor, and a teaching and preaching heart that captivated many. Let us model this great man. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.